Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words in my mouth, may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I should probably start this story uh, with a confession. Uh, I am not really a gardener. See, uh, God has blessed me in a, in a bunch of ways, but it would turn out uh, that keeping plants alive is not uh, really one of them. And I started this story this way uh, because I hope it explains some of the intimidation that I felt uh, more than a decade ago uh, when I arrived in Western North Carolina to serve as a vicar, a year-long pastoral intern. You see, uh, the congregation I was serving, it was, uh, it was by no means rural. It was about a, an hour north of Charlotte in a, in a cluster of uh, three towns with a population about uh, 60,000. And uh, the congregation I was serving, they had, they had three services, uh, a school, and they had a long history uh, of welcoming vicars, uh, pastoral interns, guys who were, uh, who were studying uh, to enter into the ministry. You see, each of these vicars, myself included, uh, lived in a house about a mile south of church. And, uh, and the previous vicar, uh, the guy I served before me, he did like to garden. And I will, uh, I'll never forget the last thing that he, uh, he told me. We were out to lunch. He looks at me and he says, oh, don't forget to water the house plants. Now, if you think that this is a story uh, about how I killed those plants— you would be wrong. Uh, you see, for five weeks, I watered those plants. I watered them diligently. One on the dining room table, uh, one hanging from the rafters, and, and one sitting on the front porch. And, uh, and back then, Andrea and I were still dating. And, uh, and so it was about five weeks into my vicarage uh, that she comes out to visit. And I was so excited to show her those plants. I mean, I had actually uh, kept them alive. And, uh, and so she gets there, and I, I take her into the dining room, and I show her the plant on the table. And, uh, and then I bring her out to the annuals hanging from the rafters. And finally, I, I turn around, and I point at the potted ivy on the front porch, and I say, look, it's just as green as the day I got here. Now, how your uh, future spouse can point out something in a way that no one else can. Andrea looks at me and she says, you know that's a silk plant, right? For five weeks, five weeks, I watered a silk plant and I didn't notice. I am not a gardener. Uh, now, I tell this story uh, not just to... Uh, not just to give myself a hard time. And, uh, and I tell this story uh, not just to point out that I don't know how to garden. Uh, I tell this story to point out uh, that if you know a thing or two about gardening or farming, there's something equally absurd going on in today's reading. Something that, uh, that just doesn't make sense. See, Jesus, uh, he tells us the story about a farmer, uh, a farmer who plants his seed rashly and recklessly. It's almost like he wastes it as he scatters it here and there and everywhere on soil that sometimes seems fertile, but most of the time uh, seems rocky. 
And uh, what we discover is uh, that this, this story, uh, which, when you think about it, challenges us a little, ends up being the best of news for the hope of the world and for people like us. And so it's with that uh, that we turn our attention uh, to Matthew chapter 13. And uh, as we arrive at this story, uh, there are two things uh, that we need to know. And the first of those things uh, is a reminder. And that's a reminder that Matthew organizes his gospel in a very intentional manner, which is to say that after Jesus' birth and baptism and before his resurrection and death, Matthew organizes his gospel around the five great sermons that Jesus tells. You might remember how I uh, mentioned this a few weeks ago, that you got sermons like the Sermon on the Mount and the Missionary Discourse, and then this long list of parables, the first of which we encounter today. And so that's the first thing you need to know. Matthew organizes his gospel in a very intentional manner. Uh, And the second thing is this. In between those sermons is a whole bunch of action. And that action sets the stage for the sermon uh, that Jesus tells. And since today's reading marks the beginning of a new sermon, that action ends up being really important. Now, in a certain sense, uh, this action is nothing new. I mean, Jesus has been preaching and teaching. He's been helping and healing. He's been inviting people not just to come and see, uh, but to follow in lives of trust and faith. And so in one sense, it's nothing new. Uh, But in another sense, something really has shifted at this point in Matthew's gospel. And that shift has uh, has really impacted uh, Jesus' disciples. And and once again, uh, it has to do with two very specific things. You see, first, it has to do with uh, the kind of people who are gathering, the crowds. You see, the crowds, uh, they keep on coming. They keep on bringing their hopes and hurts uh, alike, Uh, but unlike the crowds that we meet earlier in Matthew's gospel, these crowds that have been gathering recently, they aren't sticking around like they used to. And so you got to imagine that this is a demoralizing experience for Jesus' disciples. I mean, the disciples have heard the good news, Uh, but so have these people. And yet these people, unlike the disciples, uh, it's not having the same effect in their lives. And so that's the first thing. Uh, The crowds aren't sticking around like they used to. Uh, The second thing is this. Uh, The disciples are beginning to face some opposition. See, the Pharisees are questioning uh, Jesus' teaching. They're they're challenging uh, his miracles. And and so even though Jesus says things like, uh, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, If you're one of the disciples, think about the context of today's reading. Just because he says this doesn't mean that it always feels this way. And so they might just begin to wonder, is is sharing this good news really worth it? And see, it's with those thoughts in mind uh, that we arrive at today's reading in Matthew chapter 13. And, and this is when Jesus uh, leaves this house and heads down to the shore. He gets into a boat and, uh, and he heads out a little ways and he begins to tell a parable. A parable about the way God sows the seeds of faith in our world. Listen, he says to them. Uh, There once was a a man, a farmer actually, uh, who went out to sow 
seed in a field. And this farmer, he, uh, he shocks and quite honestly surprises Jesus' disciples because the way in which he sows his seed, uh, his livelihood, it doesn't make sense. I mean, he's rash and reckless as he scatters it here and there and everywhere. I mean, he, he scatters some on the pavement where the birds are just going to come eat it up. And, uh, and he throws uh, some of it onto the rocks where it's going to spring up fast, but it's not going to have root, so it's going to wither and fade. And then he throws some of it out among the thorns, uh, but the thorns are just going to choke it out. And so if there is a, a silver lining uh, in this parable, it's the fact that, that some of the seed actually does land on good soil. And, uh, and when it does, this is when Jesus says that it produces a crop, an absurdly large crop of 160 or 30 times what was initially sown. And, and all of this is an illustration of the way God sows the seeds of faith in our world. Now, I was, uh, I was about a year into ministry uh, when the, the pastor I served with in my first congregation warned me uh, that July, July is a tough month for ministry. It's a tough month for ministry, and it's a, it's, it's a tough month at times uh, for pastors. You see, uh, my first call was uh, to a church in uh, the Washington, D.C. area, and about half of our congregation uh, was uh, employed in one way or another uh, by the federal government. And we had uh, folks who worked for the National Security Agency. Uh, we had folks uh, who worked for uh, the Parks Department of the United States. We even had a couple of friends uh, who worked for the White House. And, uh, and a lot of these people, um, for a week or maybe two during the month of July, uh, would go on vacation. So much so that on a, on a Sunday or two during the month of July, uh, we would have half the number of people in our sanctuary uh, that we would have at other times of the year. You know, it's, uh, it's been more than a decade uh, since I have been a, a regular worshiper in a congregation. Uh, but when you're standing up here and half the people are gone, it has an impact on you as a pastor. Yeah, I imagine that's uh, probably a different impact uh, for you as a worshiper, but I'm going to guess that in one way or another, you, uh, you know what that's like. You know what it's like uh, for your faith to mean something. And you know what it's like uh, to want that for someone else. Maybe that someone else is, uh, is a friend or a family member. You know, a child or a, a grandchild. Maybe a parent. Maybe it's a, a neighbor or a coworker, Or someone that you've uh, simply developed a, a relationship with over the past few weeks or months or years. I'm going to guess that you know what that's like. You know, whoever it is, uh, you want them uh, to know and experience the kind of things that you've come to know and experience. You know, that there is a place for you uh, in God's kingdom. Uh, that even though you're broken and sinful, you're also deeply loved and completely forgiven. And that even when it seems like there is no hope left, uh, there really is. Because Jesus 
is risen and one day he's coming back and when he does all of the sad broken sinful things in this world are going to be gone i mean you want someone else to know and experience the good news that you've come to experience and and that's why you've shared the good news with them that's why you've prayed with them that's why maybe just maybe you've invited them to church but what do you do when you've done these things and nothing happens. You see, it's a situation like this uh, that today's reading uh, addresses. What do you do when you've done something like this and nothing happens? Or it addresses the situation uh, when, when you've done something like this and all of a sudden your compassion is met with opposition. And what do you do in a situation like this? I'll tell you what I'm tempted to do. Uh, I am tempted to wonder and, uh, and maybe even decide that it's just not worth it. Uh, now, back when uh, our oldest, Grant, was, uh, was still a baby, uh, more than three years ago now, which seems crazy, uh, Andrew and I decided to teach him something called uh, baby sign language. Uh, who is familiar with baby sign language? I got, okay, I got, okay, you guys know what baby sign language is. Um, the idea is that, uh, that long before babies are able to speak, they're able to communicate. And so if, uh, if you teach them a few signs, signs like uh, please or more or all done, you know, they might actually be able to tell you what's, uh, what's going on inside of them. And, you know, in, in theory... This sounds like a really good idea, uh, but in practice, at least for me, uh, it's a little frustrating and takes a lot of patience. I mean, you're sitting at the dinner table and you're, you're tapping your fingers together and you're saying more, 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 and all the while this, uh, this baby is just staring at you, kind of like you're crazy, and, uh, and you start to feel like you are. Now, I'm not sure if I should be proud of this, um, or maybe a little embarrassed, but I lasted about two weeks. I lasted about two weeks. Uh, Andrea never gave up, and, uh, and you know, it was uh, about a month, maybe two months later, uh, that we're sitting at the dinner table, and, and Grant looks at us, and he does this. He wants some more. And it was, uh, it was like one of the coolest moments I've ever had. You know, our son, for the very first time, was communicating with us. And uh, in a lot of ways, it's a, it's a testament to Andrea's persistence. Um, she's a really good mom. Uh, but it's also taught me a lesson or two about uh, our faith. You see, the, the stuff that we do and the impact that we have, it isn't always immediate. It isn't always obvious, and uh, quite honestly, it isn't always guaranteed. I mean, only a quarter of the seed in today's reading lands on good soil. And that's the challenge we face, uh, because it's really, really hard not to know the impact that we're having. And we don't know. It's, uh, it's really tempting to decide that it's not worth it, or, or that it's not worth it here, or there, or over there. And quite honestly, this is also the challenge uh, that we face in ministry here at Messiah. I mean, uh, connecting with people, uh, a charter school, an after-school program, a housing project. 
And then, uh, and then sharing life with our neighbors. Our neighbors who at times may not agree with us. You know, sometimes uh, a 25% success rate actually feels uh, like pretty good odds, and yet the temptation we face, uh, the temptation is to give up or to start deciding who deserves it and who doesn't. And that's why Jesus tells us this parable, because, because he knows that the people who follow him, his disciples and us, will find themselves in situations like this. And he wants them to know, he wants us to know that even when it isn't always easy, even when it isn't always obvious, even when it isn't always guaranteed, it's still worth it. Because all people, all soil matters to God. And so that's what we see uh, in today's uh, reading. And, And you know, at one point, God could have looked at us and decided that we weren't worth it. Yet the Father still sends the Son, and the Son still comes to live among us, to die on a cross, and to rise uh, again. And he does it because all people, all soil matter to God. You know, if that sounds a little reckless, if that sounds uh, a little absurd, if it sounds a little wasteful, that's because it is. You see, God is willing to waste all sorts of seed if it means that you, or you, or you, or the person down that street are able to know that they are loved and wanted and ultimately welcome in God's kingdom, which has no end. And so my hope and uh, prayer and uh, and encouragement for you is, uh, is to never give up. And uh, my hope and prayer and encouragement for you is that God would grant you uh, the persistence and anything else that you need as you continue to sow the seeds of faith, both here and there and everywhere in soil that sometimes seems fertile, but also in soil that sometimes seems rocky. And, uh, And when it isn't always easy, when it isn't always obvious, when it isn't always guaranteed, I pray that God would remind you that it's worth it. It's worth it, and that's what he shows you. He shows you that you are worth it. He gave his life for you, and and the amazing thing is that someone, somewhere, was reckless with his seed. They were wasteful. as They scattered it here and there and everywhere and on your life. And the fact that you're here today is a testament to the fact that, uh, as Aaron told us, God's Word has power. And sometimes it produces a crop of 30, 60, and even 100-fold. And it's for that uh, that we give thanks to God this day. In the name of Jesus, amen.